This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Uh, Nancy Sliwa is in-house today, having had a very successful in-house appearance earlier this week. During my 12 uh, noon to 1 in the afternoon show for International Women's Day, you gave us a whole breakdown of the animal welfare, both radio show and now the TV video that we do once a week. You can actually see it if you go to YouTube, type in, ladies and gentlemen, Red Apple Media, and we have now four in the can, four in the can that are available for viewing. The most recent one about pigeons, which uh, really causes a lot of angst with some of our listeners, uh, Nancy, because there are the pro-pigeon people and the the people who believe that they're rats with uh, wings. Yeah, we definitely attract more pro-pigeon people, I'd say. Yes, well, that's one of the toss-ups. And I must say that before I came in uh, to do the 9 to 12 shift, Nancy had given me uh, some honey. Now, where do you get that honey from? Oh, actually, this is from New Zealand, right? So they, it's called Manuka honey. So it's certain bees that actually make it. This is why it's so, you know, it's like coveted because it has such incredible health benefits. But it's only for the bees in New Zealand. Yeah, because my voice was going, shouting as I was in the St. Patrick's Day parade up in the neck, Throg's neck. A lot of WABC listeners. A lot of folks asking how our cats were doing, uh, the rescue cats that we have, Nancy. But I just want to point out what you sent me last night as I was doing uh, the best of the other side of midnight, 12 to 6, in the break of dawn, except Mr. Daylight Savings Time, stolen hour from me that I'll never get back. That the bee lives less than 40 days, visits at least 1,000 flowers, and produces less than a teaspoon of honey before it dies. Yes, correct. So that one teaspoon of honey that I had earlier tonight that soothed my throat, a bee had worked 40 days to create. And spent its entire life to make that one spoonful for you. And then died. Yeah, I mean, so, it, but certainly puts a level of um, gratitude there. I mean, thankfulness for what that bee gave up for you. Absolutely. And that leads us to the man who is not at all thankful for my offer that was made back on January 7th. 
uh, one month after he claimed on December 7th that he was going to appoint a rat czar for the city of New York because we have a plague of rats, mice, and rodents. It's not the fault of the mayor, Eric Adams. It came about through the lockdown and the pandemic of March of 2020, and it just got more and more exacerbated. But he never appointed a rat czar, so I volunteered my time. You weren't happy with that because you don't see me enough at home. And I said I would be the rat czar at night, at night when the uh, when it's nocturnal. That's when you have the the rats, the mice, the feral cats are out, the yeah, owls. Yeah, you have that in common. Yes, yeah, because I'm nocturnal. And you were willing to let me go out every night and be the rat czar at no cost to the city of New York. And after three days on Lafayette Avenue in Bed-Stuy, do or die, Brooklyn, where the mayor has a building and has a rat mitigation problem, after I spent cleaning up his area with uh, the guardian angels, he told me, get off my effing property. I don't want you as my rat czar. Yeah, that was a nice version. That was uh, January 7th, around then, and February 7th, still no rat czar. March 7th, still no rat czar. And now we learn that they think that rats are carriers of COVID-19. Well, for, yeah, so first of all, this is part of the problem with constantly doing tests all the time on any types of animals like you're looking for a connection so you have this uh group of people dubbed the rat trappers you know they're uh, like scientists and what they did was they caught um 80 rats in brooklyn just specifically brooklyn rats and what they did was they tested them and a small portion of them came back positive for carrying the virus that could give you um, COVID-19. So this possibility of them being carriers. Now, now, mind you, there hasn't been any indication at this point um, or, or you know, like sh- uh, proof that they've actually spread it to people. It's just the fact that they're carriers potentially from this one experiment. But now everyone's extrapolating off of it and they're saying this could be basically the, the death of the entire humanity <laughs> if these things have it. So, again, they're really, you know, they're extrapolating a lot, but they're finding it in these rats, and now they're trying to figure out what to do about it because they're saying if that percentage of them have it in New York City, that would mean 1.3 million are potential carriers, and that could be a concern. So they're basically predicting a bubonic plague, a black <laughs> exactly. plague of COVID-19 and blaming the rats. Yeah, exactly. And at this point, the only ones they're giving it to are themselves, the rats. So they're not giving it to people but so we're not really concerned about them giving it to themselves. We're concerned about the potential. We'll get it from them. Now, there are two stories in the news about animals that go after rats. It's part of their natural predilection. They're their natural predators are the rats. So we see the battlefield scenes in the eastern section of the Ukraine where it's like World War I tactics. The Ukrainians are in trenches. The Russians are in trenches. And they're killing each other, hundreds of them. And the Ukrainian side have cats in their trenches because of all the rats that accumulate in the trenches, which is interesting because my grandfather, Anton, who fought in World War I, after coming over from Poland, they sent him back to uh, France. He told them, I never rode a horse in my life. They said, all Polish people ride horses. You're going to be in the cavalry. He fell off the horse. He broke his shoulder. So they gave him a gun, put him in the trench. He had uh, trench foot 
He got gas, he got uh, musty gas poisoning, but he described to my father, who then described to me, that the trenches were filled with rats, which makes sense because the men discard food. Yeah. So the Ukrainians have rat killers that are cats in the trenches with them, basically fighting side by side with them, the Ukrainians against the Russians and their mercenaries, and the cats against the rats. And it works. It's incredible. And now we have Flacco, the uh, the owl in Central Park, who at night is preying on the rats and the mice because it's self-sufficient. Apparently, a strong gust of wind blew it out of its nest the other day. What, what, what happened to Flacco? Oh, yeah. So Flacco wound up being on the sidewalk of New York City. And, of course, because Flacco now has, like, this constant paparazzi around, everyone knows what Flacco does, when Flacco does it. And Flacco now was on TikTok dancing around to the beat on on the sidewalk. So now apparently Flacco's back up in a tree, but a big gust of wind blew it out of the tree. And, of course, everyone was right on top of Flacco. So Flacco, the escaped owl who won't leave Central Park, it escaped the zoo. Somebody had cut the netting and Flacco was able to fly out. And all the bird watchers who were watching with their safari hats and their binoculars going, whoop-a-woo, whoop-a-woo trying to lure Flacco back into the nest in the zoo. Uh, they were worried that Flacco could not survive on its own because it had been hand-felt since it was a little chick. It, it became, again, the predator to the, the rats and the mice. You're telling me that Flacco is now more of an influencer than the Kardashian girls and the TikTok girls? Yeah, no, I think Flacco has a bigger following, and certainly people are more interested in where Flacco is these days. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC, whatever's on your mind involving animal welfare. And a quick update. Talking about an influencer, you remember when I was running for mayor and I went to vote that day, you accompanied me at our polling site in which all of a sudden we were told animals were not permitted to come into the polling site. Do you remember which of uh, the many rescue cats that was accompanying me into the polling site? Yeah, that was Peanut. Uh, no, that was recently Peanut. Yeah, Peanut. Pe- oh, oh, previously Gizmo. Gizmo. Do you know that Gizmo is now an influencer? Gizmo has more people following Gizmo on Twitter than I do. Yeah, but you know what? Gizmo got the fame a little too early, and now Gizmo, it's gone to Gizmo's head. So, yeah, I mean, right now, she doesn't feel the need to do anything on Twitter, so, you know. And I got to tell you, all along the parade of the St. Patrick's Day parade up in Throgsnake earlier today, women, mostly women, were asking me, how are the cats? How's Nancy? How are the rescue cats? And I told them uh, that we had a, a height of 18 rescue cats and you have socialized them, you have tended to their medical needs, you have gotten them fixed, neutered, and spaded, and you have adopted them out, just like Gizmo has been adopted out. And we're now down at 12, right? 12, yes. And you're going to get more who they plan to euthanize at the shelters, socialize them, get them their medical needs, get them neutered and spaded, and then adopt them out again. I mean, that's that's the goal. Um, and, it, and, of course, always if I get the senior ones, there's a likelihood of um, hanging on to the seniors, but... You know, as long as they're uh, young, they've been in homes before, hopefully it can be a quick turnaround. And at the parade, the St. Patrick's Day Parade in the Bronx, there were people asking about Tuna. How is Tuna doing, the AARP cat? Tuna, Tuna's doing okay. Um, you know, it's a little bit back and forth with the weather, so Tuna tends to sleep around the heater a lot these days. 
you know, she she gets up, she walks around, she moves a little bit. She likes to walk in the hallway. Uh, not too much activity on the the tuna cam, really. The AARP tuna cat. Meantime, an orca whale has died in Canada. Now, this has nothing to do with Shamu, El Jefe Chris Christie, who goes up and down the Jersey Shore as a orca whale, a killer whale. But explain to us the life and times of this orca whale. Yeah, this is unfortunately the, the sad lives and times of Kiska, as a female killer whale. So this was the last captive orca uh, that lived in Canada. Now, um, initially... This whale was captured in Iceland um, along with another whale. This was in 1979. So this um, whale has been in captivity its entire life. And, you know, it only had a few, like, little baby calves. Unfortunately, they all died. Um, you know, through the years, the, the whale has had, like, other friends, but they've passed away. And, like, in 2008, it's like the last little calf um, passed away and then... Um, there was a battle, apparently, over her last friend, and SeaWorld was involved with it. And SeaWorld really wanted this other um, male whale. So what they did was they had a legal battle, and they took this whale out. So for the last decade of its life, it was living by itself. And people really wanted this whale to get out because, you know, they're social animals. But unfortunately, or maybe thankfully for this whale, it, it, it died the other day in captivity at 47. Now... Have you ever seen the scenes, they've shown them on television, where the orca whales, they're like in a wolf pack. They're right along the shore. They don't bother people. But if they see sharks, they just descend on the sharks. They attack the sharks, and they take their livers out. They only want the liver of the shark, and they gouge them, and then they leave them to bleed out in the ocean. You're an animal lover. What does that say to you when you see those scenes? Well, I mean, I'm sure they must know the best place to go for the food and the animals. So, I mean, it, I mean, to me, it's just more uh, practical, you know, life in the sea for these animals. I, I don't think there's anything um, odd about that. Um, it could also be maybe because it's a threat, you know, that's a reason to go after it. But I'm sure they must know something about that being sort of the healthiest, the healthiest area. And actually, one sort of sad thing about this this killer whale too was that in 2019. Canada finally passed the anti-captivity law. So they were saying, oh, we recognize that they shouldn't be doing this anymore because they have such a high level of cognition, but they actually considered this whale um, grandfathered in. So they said, oh, well, all the other whales going forward, just not this one. So, so they, do they continue to take orca whales into SeaWorld? Well, in SeaWorld, yes, because they this law doesn't exist. This is in Canada. Mm-hmm. So in SeaWorld, they continue to do that. And, again, there's still fights over that because of, you know, exactly. I mean, we think about it. Their their normal habitat is the ocean. So it doesn't matter how big you make the tank. It, it doesn't suffice to what their life's supposed to be. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Hour. Featuring uh, Nancy Sliwa, that's 1-800-848-WABC. And don't forget the videos that are available to you now. We do a half-hour video once a week. They upload it here, our uh, Crackerjack video team at WABC, exclusive to WABC. They upload it on YouTube. You type in Red Apple Media, and you can see them all. There are four of them in the can, and there will be one each and every week. Now, speaking of the killer whale, uh, there is also the story 
of the elephant, the circus elephant, former circus elephant, it seems to have a nice story to it. Yeah, so this is a 48-year-old elephant named Nicole. Uh, it was one of three senior elephants that was um, living in San Antonio Zoo. And they, they had actually called these three uh, older females, like the Golden Girls. But last year, like one had passed away. And then eight months after that, the other one had passed away. So this was the lone um, elephant at this zoo. It, it was a circus um a circus elephant, so they have like these pictures of it dressed up in its circus garb. But now it's at a a sanctuary in Tennessee where there's nine other senior elephants. So this is an example of you know thankfully a happy ending in this sort of situation because I I think people are recognizing too like as much as the zoos try to promote um, you know awareness of animals. Oh, this is a great place for people to come and learn about animals, and you know you hope that it trickles down into some level of education and empathy and hopefully conservationism someday. But I think, um, you know, zoos are really being outmoded and the sanctuaries um, are much more fitting in terms of the environment and much more appropriate for people to see them in their natural habitat. Now, speaking of zoos, we have the Bronx uh, Zoological Society that runs the Bronx Zoo, uh, in which the animals kept there have far more room uh, in the Bronx Zoo than they do the other local zoos uh, here in the five boroughs of the city of New York, uh, Central Park, Brooklyn, uh, Queens, Staten Island. Uh, but happy. Remember, we've had an ongoing discussion about happy the elephant, who doesn't at all look all that happy. Uh, happy from time to time uh, in captivity has banged its head on the rocks that are a part of uh, what they've uh, created for the setting uh, in the elephant center. And a lot of people object to the fact uh, that uh, there are animal rights activists like yourself who want happy to be able to go to like a ranch where there are elephants who are in captivity, but they have lots of space to roam about, unlike a zoo, which has limited space. Happy, when you look at happy, is not happy. It's a depressed elephant, and yet they won't let happy go. Yeah, and, and again, like this is why um, this particular elephant, too, was transferred to the sanctuary because – by it being left by itself, they recognize that they are social animals. They do live in herds. It's unnatural for them to be by themselves. So that type of behavior you're describing, it's very similar when you have these animals in captivity for so long. They basically are are going crazy to to some extent, and this is what they're doing. It, it, it winds up in them, you know, doing these, like, really hurtful things to themselves. And the fact that the zoos are still holding on to them so tightly when they see this behavior is um, really sad. Now... Earlier this past week, there was a coyote spotted walking around on the sidewalks in northern Queens. It turned out that it had a hip and a pelvic fracture. It was then uh, brought to a Long Island Nature Center where it's uh, getting medical care. But we're hearing more and more stories now of coyotes that are coming out into the streets, coming into parks, all five boroughs now. Uh, what can we do with this? Because people have been brought up to believe that the coyotes are natural predators of cats, of dogs, of small, fluffy, little yarn ball animals. Uh, how can we live in harmony? Or should uh, these coyotes be captured and then just return to the wilds, maybe upstate or in a more rustic and rural area? Well, yeah, I mean, so the, they I don't think that there's really any uh, plan to uh, transport them anywhere. Most of the time when they grab these uh, pretty much wild, they call them like wild animals, 
they're euthanizing them. Um, I don't think there's any idea that they're trying to transport them back to their natural environment. And I think there is going to be, obviously, you know, the extent to which we run in with them. You know, yeah, we, we might be living in harmony at some point because the generations, they breed so fast. You know, if they grow up with us, same way like feral cats. If you grow up with them, they're small enough, they're used to human interaction. But again, in this situation, this was one that was injured. So that's more indicative of it not being an animal that's really trying to, you know, socialize with you. But it only probably, you know, surfaced because it was injured and it really needed help. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, I notice on the big screen TV that we have in the house with the uh, rescue cats, you mostly have um, up on the big screen the nest in San Bernardino County, California, that has, I mean, lots of snow. That is so totally unusual. California is now getting clobbered with rain and flooding, and I notice there's been a lot of rain of late at that eagle's nest. But people, there are like millions of people that have a fascination over these two bald eagles and the nest. You actually see them building and rebuilding their nest. Yeah, so these are the bald eagle's names. It's Jackie and Shadow. It's a it's a pair of, um, you know, like nested eagles that live in San Bernardino National Forest, and they've had a YouTube, like a 24-7 YouTube channel for a long time. So it's like the, um, on YouTube, it's Friends of Big Bear Valley. So you go to this site, and they have um, two cameras, and one is right directly up on the nest. So, you know, I, I stumbled across this um, uh, a few weeks ago. I started watching it. I thought it was so fascinating because this eagle, you know, they're taking turns sitting on the eggs, and it was so much snow. There was like over five feet of snow that they had um, in San Bernardino. So they were really trying to, you know, do the best they could to protect the eggs. Unfortunately, it was too long a period of time. Um, you know, they realized that the, it probably wasn't going to happen. So then they started to leave the nest, and that's what they've been doing the past few weeks. But then this past week, um, two ravens came by to the nest. So this it was caught in the video as well. And they basically broke into the eggs, and they took the eggs out because by default, you know, they were just going to leave the eggs there indefinitely. They would have became part of the nest. And then I noticed that apparently while they were foraging for food, the male eagle brought a raven itself back to the nest that it had caught in midair. And then the female bald eagle muscled out the male eagle and started to dine on it herself. Yeah, right? So the, since they are a pair, they're absolutely going to be sharing food. But there's uh, the people who have been watching this pair for years have noticed that there's this inclination for the male to capture the food and for the female to, you know, indulge on, in the food. And he's okay with it. So it's working out well for them. So it's best not to disturb that, I guess. Now, I noticed when... Um, the little birds show up at the nest when the both bald eagles are out there flying around. That our rescue cats look at these little birdies, and maybe like sparrows, and they think they could get the sparrow. They start pawing the big screen TV. I mean, it's it's great because you can hear every little sound. So you can hear between the the chirping of the birds. You can hear the wind blowing through the trees. So. I mean, there's no question. The same way they look outside in the windows, they're looking at this screen with the same level of intensity. You don't have to turn it off periodically because they get so 
you know, they, they really do believe that there's something there, so I have to make sure they don't really jump at the screen too much. But notice, they don't go at the bald eagles. They recognize they wouldn't <laughs> no, have a big. chance against the bald eagles. <laughs> but when they see the little sparrows... Oh, the little ones, yeah. They think they can pounce on the little sparrow through the big screen TV. <laughs> yeah, they, they try to use their paws to get it, but you're right, they don't go after the bald eagle. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then we saw a story right in our backyard in Staten Island where a dog was shot by the NYPD officer during an emergency call. What are the details on that? Well, there you go. That's the problem. There's there's little to no details on what happened. Uh, NYPD responding to a call, emotionally disturbed person. Uh, there was like a little bit of a different story, but supposedly they went into the house and they're not clear, but the assumption is this was this person's dog, and the uh, apparently lunged at the officer, said they b- bit him in the hand. Um, they shot the dog. The dog died. But now here's the thing. So they don't have information on what exactly happened beyond that, and I'm not sure if they have any protocol. But I, w- you know, again, I think that would be important to have a protocol if you're showing up to someone's house, even if you have a valid reason to be dealing with them. You would have to understand if they have a dog, the dog is going to have a, you know, protective stance over who its owner is. So I something tells me this is something that could have been avoided. Plus, it's a German shepherd. Uh, My experience with them is they're very, um, you know, sort of kind animals and they're not, you know, aggressive by nature. They might be protective, but not necessarily aggressive by nature. So uh, hopefully this gets looked into a little bit. But. Yeah, unfortunately, the dog died. Now, the reemergence of uh, the evil one, Dr. Fauci, he's claiming again and again and again, look, look, I had no idea about the Wuhan Biological Lab. This probably came about COVID-19 as a result of, uh, you know, human consumption at the wet shop in Wuhan. He's, He's sort of recircling with that. But he, nor really anybody else, is talking about the number of chickens that are being slaughtered all over the country as a result of bird flu. And now they're talking about mass vaccination. Does this mean they're bringing Dr. Fauci back out of retirement in order to do this? Okay, this really needs to be watched big time because this seems to be um, being pushed through without any oversight whatsoever. So, okay, so uh, to what you just said... This um, bird flu, which apparently, again, the 58 million birds last year were killed in the United States. Because 58, 58 million. 58 million. Now, I'm not sure what type of testing they did on these birds. If they know that they actually had this, I think they do precautionary things. If one has it, what they were doing was they were just killing the entire, culling, culling the entire flock. So... Now, you know, but what what happens is now, so so many birds have been, um, you know, killed by virtue of this, and they're talking about um, giving them vaccines to try and, um, you know, prevent them from getting this. Now, again, it it doesn't even outline what happens if one of them gets it. They still might kill them. But what what they're talking about doing is basically injecting this into all of the birds. They have no idea whether or not it's going to be helpful, whether it's going to stop. But what we do know is that then it goes into the food supply chain. And it seems like the biggest thing that would stop the spread of this from one bird to the next is really um, having uh, biosecurity protocols. So, again, you're talking about the simplest thing. It's the same issue like with rats. Oh, we want to have poisons. We want to have these, uh, you know, really intricate plans for rat eradication. 
but you can't put the garbage in a garbage can, and there's there's constant food supply. So you have to go for the simplest thing. Here, it seems like what's happening is they're not being clean in the facilities that they're utilizing. So one bird gets sick, everyone is dying. But because they can't keep it clean, which is simple, now they want to put this into who knows how many birds, and everyone's going to be getting this. So it, we don't even know what they're putting into these birds, and they want this going in the food chain. So this really needs to be washed because they're putting this forward, like, without any oversight whatsoever, and I think it's a big, big mistake. And you're sure that Dr. Fauci is not involved I'm in sure this he, at all? No, he's probably he's behind the scenes somewhere, I'm sure. Anyway, and then finally, before we go to the calls, this zoo situation in Puerto Rico is abysmal. Uh, there have been a lot of abuses reported at zoos around the world, but this may be the worst ever. Okay, yeah, so I'll tell you, right, this is, there's a couple bad zoos, but yeah, this one's really bad. This is the only zoo that's existed in Puerto Rico since the 50s. Um, they've had for over a decade, um, t- you know, tons of complaints against it uh, based on, you know, the animals' health, animals dying, lack of shelter. It's been closed officially since 2017, but yet the animals are still, like, lingering there, I, and they're trying to get them out. So now what happened is the, the federal government, you know, they've been um, obviously getting so many requests from people with animal rights activism saying you got to get these animals out of here. They're dying. Finally, finally, they're moving forward on it. They're saying in six months these animals are going to be transferred, but to make it easy and to um, – not have to go through any legal, uh, you know, in legal cases. They're deciding not to actually prosecute the people who worked at the zoo for this behavior. They're saying, oh, it could actually slow down the process of transferring them, which is obvious. And, and this is a quote from the U.S. attorney. We cannot change what happened in the past. Animals died. That's that's pretty much, I think, the view of the government all across the board when it comes to animals. It well, just, they, they, they were like uh, what Boris Johnson was doing uh, doing uh, during the COVID lockdown. Uh, they were having parties, and they were actually taking the animals and slaughtering them from the zoo and inviting guests and feeding them. Yeah, there was um, uh, several uh, zoos, and I know one, for instance, in, in Mexico for sure, that has also just in the past um, two months been investigated as well. It closed down for that exact reason. That the the owners, like the you know the people who ran the zoo, were hosting parties where they were killing the animals, like pygmy goats, and they were having parties, inviting you know dignitaries over to feed them this, and the people being invited over were mortified, but they you know they thought this was such a wonderful thing they were doing. I mean, it's just it it really boggles the mind the people that get put in charge of these. Please, please, facilities. Nancy, don't tell that to our hosts here at WABC. It'll give them another reason to want to go to war against Mexico and lob cruise missiles in there. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. To the phones we go. It's Brian. Uh, first up uh, on the Animal Welfare Hour in Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brian. Yes, hi, Curtis and Nancy. Uh, you mentioned the orcas that killer whales earlier and how they uh, will go after sharks. Do you know if there's been any research done to maybe record the orca's sounds to work as a, a deterrent for um, shipwrecked sailors and, and scuba divers and stuff 
to keep the sharks away. Like I remember that in the USS Indianapolis incident where so many sailors died because of shark attacks. Um, I'm wondering now if there's any kind of technology that could uh, record the orca's sound to try to keep the sharks away. Now, that's a brilliant yeah. observation to actually have the recorded sound and amplify it uh, under the uh, ocean so that the sharks would be deterred because it is a definite natural enemy of the sharks. They go in. They uh, just consume the shark liver. That's all they want out of the sharks are their livers, and they just leave the carcasses floating to the uh, surface. It's a brilliant idea, Brian. Let's go to uh, Mike, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Mike. Hello, Curtis and Nancy. Uh, uh, Nancy, we haven't heard any new uh, whales dying uh, since we last talked last week. And hopefully uh, maybe uh, they're looking into these uh, turbines that are producing electricity or something. Uh, I don't know. Have you heard anything? Yeah, right. I haven't I haven't heard any um, news stories about them. So I'm wondering if there's an explanation for it. I don't know if maybe they've washed somewhere else. Like, I don't know if that's a possibility. The one thing I started thinking was that if they realize they're going to start washing up on shore, it would be wise for them to try to get them before they even hit the shore. So I wonder if there's any uh, drones out there kind of seeing, like, if, you know, any of these uh, things are monitoring the waters. But, yeah, definitely keeping an eye on that. Let's go to Tom in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Tommy. Thank you so much, Curtis. I used to pick you up at Newark Airport on my bus with New Jersey Transit, and I love your show, and I love you. And, and one of the reasons why is because you're a cat lover. And I wanted to ask you something spiritually. My wife and I are practicing Catholics. We like taking care of the poor and the needy, but we also take care of wild cats. We go to different places where they're out in the woods, and we feed them, and we have names for them. And Sometimes I feel a little guilty that we're putting that much time into it and food and things like that. And but Kurt, I love them. They're in my heart. They're in my blood, and it's never going to go away. It's a passion that my wife and I have, and we actually have nine cats of our own and uh, can't help it. We just love them. But we're not depriving the poor either, you know, so we're taking care of the poor as best as we can. But we put a lot of effort into the animals, and I just want to know how you feel about that, Kurt. No, no, you should continue to do so because, as you know, with the cats that you care for, they have individual personalities that are different from one another. Uh, Those that are feral cats that are outside are providing a service because they are a natural impediment uh, to the rats and the mice that can plague uh, whole areas. So, no, keep doing it because if you weren't doing it, then uh, many of these cats would have a very difficult time surviving uh, because there are a lot of other people that you probably come across, Tom, who hate the cats, uh, killing cats. Look at what happened in Howard Beach. They took 13 cats. They slaughtered these cats. They put it along the roadside. They hung one cat from a fence. So you have people like yourself, Tom, you and your wife, you're dedicated in terms of taking care of these outdoor cats. And then you have others who go around and they look to slaughter the cats for whether they're emotionally disturbed or maybe they're immigrants and they come from countries where they've been taught, as my mother was taught, the cats are to be feared, the cats bring you bad luck. 
the cats, uh, you know, you should say stay as far away from cats as is humanly possible. She had uh, learned that from the immigrants who came over from Italy. So, Tom, continue to do your great work because the cats need your help. Thank you, Curtis. Anyway, let's go to Ann in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here in the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Ann. Hi, I love you both. Uh, Nancy, um, in St. Louis, when I was growing up, I'm 84 years old, and uh, they had a a monkey show. And uh, my parents did three shows a year at the amateur theater, and their uh, protege, his father was the the uh, architect for the St. Louis Zoo, and and he worked uh, in the monkey show, and um, I uh, he said that they they actually have a vocabulary, and I I just wondered if you uh, were familiar with anything like that. No, you know I had I hadn't heard of that, um, but yet yeah, uh, I I do know that. The, the vocabulary I've, heard, I've certainly heard about that um, in terms of relation to primates and I, and I think that's one of the reasons why it definitely makes sense to not have them in the zoos right because they're almost in my opinion they're almost like us they're they're as close to us as, as can be and so to think you know so in any way that that you um, that they sort of have uh, these restrictions on them I think being confined in the zoos, um, it's really, you know, again, it's just a sad sort of thing that we do, we do so much uh, bad to these animals that help us so much. I mean, we test on them all the time, but I mean, uh, hopefully they had a good life there. But uh, yeah, I definitely am not for them being in captivity anyway. Oh, okay, okay. So, uh, are you against uh, like animals that are performers? Yeah, you know what? I I, de- I definitely am because I I think that the the training process I I don't know no matter how you slice it I think there's going to be some element of that I think it's also I mean again they're going to be living in some level of an unnatural environment I think most of them are pretty harsh I think there might be some decent ones but at the same time it's not how they're supposed to be it'd be like the equivalent of having people travel around and, and putting them on display. I, I don't really see much of a difference myself. Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, Anne and everyone out there, they've just unearthed, archaeologists unearthed, the oldest non-human stone tools outside of Africa. This is my National Geographic, and they belong to the Brazilian herded capuchin monkeys. So imagine, 700-year-old stone hammers were being used by these monkeys, it was swinging in their hands in order to crack open nuts and cashews and everything else. So they obviously have the human traits of being able to hold on to something to make a, a stone hammer. I mean, that's you have to have the dexterity of a human to be able to do that. I mean, minus the language that we speak, I... I don't think there's many. I mean, again, the reason why they're so highly tested on is because genetically speaking, they're almost identical to us. So you can't deny it in their behavior. You can't deny it in their genetics. Well, you know, in the old Abbott and Costello series, they used to have Mr. Bacicaloup, the stereotypical Italian who was always losing his temper. And at times they had him as an organ grinder with a monkey who would then go out with a little cup and collect donations uh, but my grandfather actually told me years ago he never was an organ grinder, but he did say to me that monkeys in Italy, where there were organ grinders, 
understood the language of human beings, and that's the way they were able to respond to the commands to perform that then would get the organ grinder money. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. Anyway, let's go to Rob, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Rob. I certainly appreciate it, Curtis. Unfortunately, I received some devastating news earlier with the animal care and control, who we have both verbally uh, outlashed against in previous years. I found out that a dog who went missing from someone's backyard just earlier today was euthanized at the ACC when they are supposed to have a 72-hour hold on any animals that come into the ACC because that is law. While that law was broken today, the family is devastated. I will be in touch with them. We are going to make the animal care and control, the ACC, better known to me as the animal concentration camp, pay for what they did to this poor dog, uh, Leona, who was a multi-poo, that they uh, euthanized today. Hmm. Did they give you uh, any reason whatsoever? Was it sick? Was it uh, suffering? Or did they just decide there was no room at the inn, so we're going to we're going to euthanize uh, this animal? So the lady who owns the dog put up a post that they gave her a condolence card that they had put the dog to sleep. They made no attempts of reaching out to her. No one reached out to her. She had to find out the dog was at the ACC from a Facebook group post. And when she went down there to try to retrieve her dog, they said, oops, sorry, we euthanized the dog. He was, uh, she was old, and she had some health issues. The owner states, while the dog was old and had health issues, that is a determination for us to make. You need to hold the dog until you find the owner, and you did not hold the dog for the period of time you were supposed to. Well, you know, this happens over and over. There was a period of time uh, in which uh, Nancy uh, was getting the kill list. They put out a kill list of the animals that are scheduled to be executed by the Animal Care and Control. I guess they decide they don't want to care any longer for those animals, so they want to euthanize them. And Nancy said to me, it was, I remember it was a Saturday afternoon, she goes, I got to head over to Linden Boulevard to East New York to the Animal Care and Control Shelter in Brooklyn because they're going to euthanize this cat and I want to go save the cat. Uh, and I said, well, you're not going over there by yourself. It's dangerous there. You have, uh, you have uh, gangs that are having shooting wars at, uh, right across the street, Cypress Hills. Uh, gangs were shooting back and forth. I said, I'll go with you. And I'll never forget, Nancy, and I've related this story before, also, Rob, where we were halfway there. It was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They said, well, we, you got to get here before 5 o'clock. We were well on our way to be there in time. And I'll never forget the look on your face. They called you, and they told you, don't bother coming. We're closing early. And they killed the cat because they wanted to leave early. I mean, you say to yourself, who is it that is running these shelter systems in New York, Rob, that we're paying millions of dollars to, that in many instances uh, somebody surrenders their animal there with the idea that they're going to foster them out or find a, a family that will adopt them, and then they end up eliminating them, killing them, destroying them. It's a horror, an absolute horror. 
And they'll argue that. They'll say, we don't do that. But we know they do. Yeah, I mean, and, and in this instance, someone knew the dog, but think how many will just go, you know, nameless and faceless, and this happens so quickly, and there there's no recourse. Well, you know, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, when he ran for mayor in 2013, he was the first person ever to have a plank in his platform, no-kill shelters. Then when I had the opportunity to run recently against Eric Adams, uh, that was one of my key platforms, no-kill shelters. And there were other cities now that have no-kill shelters, Los Angeles, Austin. You say, why is it we can't have no-kill shelters in New York City? There's certainly enough space now with all the empty commercial space to expand the locations that you can house the animals until you can find a place where they can live out the rest of their life in a normal way. It is an absolute disgrace, and they continue to hide behind the fact that they get millions and millions of dollars for the taxpayers. And basically, don't ask questions. Trust us. We know what's in the best interest of the animal. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a failed policy. It has been for a long time. And you look at all these other smaller groups, uh, smaller fund, funds than they have, less people, less real estate, and they do a better job. So right away, why do we continue to go with people who can't do the job at the cost of animal lives? It's despicable. Now, if anybody would like to continue to uh, communicate with you, if they have issues that relate to animal welfare, how can they contact you, Nancy? Uh, you can go to guardianangels.org and go to the Animal Protection tab, and you, or you can also email me directly, nancy at guardianangels.org. And remember, not only is it the most requested, the most phoned into, the most, uh, we get the most interest of the many different segments uh, that we do here at WABC, which at times stands for Always Broadcasting uh, Curtis. But now you should know, Nancy, there's a cabal going on here at WABC led by... Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, and his friends. Anybody but Curtis. 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 That ain't happening. But in addition, we have the half-hour video animal welfare show available to all of you, courtesy of WABC. You go to YouTube. Uh, you type in Red Apple Media, and you will see four episodes uh, featuring Nancy and myself talking about all kinds of animal welfare issues. The latest one that will be uploaded on uh, Wednesday will be episode five about the horse carriage industry. That has been an issue going back to when Barry Gray was doing mid-morning radio and railing against that at the old WMCA. So once again, thanks, and thanks for the in-house visit at Twice in one week, Nancy. Thank you for having me, Curtis. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.